Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. We're glad you're here today. Um, again, when you look at these, uh, the changing of the seasons on this photo, I wasn't prepared for the winter one to come so quickly. I thought we would hopefully have another uh, couple weeks before the snow would come up. And, uh, but if you're new here, we are glad that you're here today. Um, hopefully you feel loved, welcome. If you didn't, on the way out, grab a cup of coffee, um, a hot tea. Also, I wanted to let you know, here at Calvary, to make everything happen, we need a team of volunteers. And we have volunteers that serve in here. We have volunteers who serve in the kids' space with our youth, making sure everything gets done. If you are one of those volunteers, thank you. And this is Volunteer Appreciation Sunday. And so with that, if you are one of those volunteers, back in Building 2, we have a cupcake for you. And so we don't have 500 cupcakes left over after today. If you will please go and grab one, we would love to say thank you. And it would also save our waistline if you would go ahead and grab one of those for us today. Um, again, like I said, I'm Drew Phillips. I'm the associate pastor here um, at Calvary. And I have an opportunity to stand up here about once a month and, and to preach. And so I'm thankful for that opportunity. But this is the first time that I've been up here in about two months. I had a, a gift of a six-week sabbatical, which was very good, very restoring. But I haven't been up here in a couple months, so I have a lot of things to say. So buckle up. We're going to be here for a while. Um, but no, I am excited about what the Lord has for us today, what I've learned even this week in preparation and sharing that with you. So we are in Ephesians, and we are going to be looking at this idea of one, and specifically through the book of Ephesians chapter 4. And last week, Daniel talked about what it looks like for us to, to unite, to be bonded together with Christ and also one another, to stay on mission as God's body. And today, Christ's body, and so today that's what I'm going to speak a little bit more on, is how do we stay one in Christ as the body? And he, Daniel reminded us last week that the way that we can do this, what Paul tells us in the book of Ephesians, is that we do that by the power of the Holy Spirit and through the bond of peace. And through this bond of peace, we are united together, kind of using the same similar word language as a marriage, that we are bonded together by his spirit and through peace. And his challenge to us was to join in membership, to join in partnering together here at Calvary so that we can continue to reach out not only to this community, but to the world around us. And today we're going to continue in that. So if you have your Bibles or your phone or your iPad, however you access scripture, go ahead and get to Ephesians 4. We're going to start in verse 7 and go through verse 16 today. If you don't have that, the, the um, passages will be up on the screen as well. Ephesians 4, 7 through 16 says this. Now grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. For it says, when he ascended on high, he took the captives captive and gave gifts to people. But what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower parts of the earth? The one who has descended also is the one who ascended far above all of the heavens to fill all things. Paul gets a little bit poetic here. We'll talk about that here in just a second. But where I want to start is in verse 7. And Paul starts with reminding us of grace. Reminding us of grace. And what a beautiful place to start when we talk about being bonded to one another, when we talk about being in relationship with one another, starting with grace. 
Because if we are going to do relationship right, if we are going to do community right, it starts with grace. Because every relationship that we have, if it is a true, good, bonded relationship, is going to be messy. We're going to hurt one another. We're going to argue. We're going to disagree. And if we can start with the basis of grace, it's going to allow that relationship to flourish more. Think about this in marriage. Lisa and I have an opportunity to do premarital counseling every once in a while. And it's one of our favorite things to do together. But when we sit down with a couple before they get married, we ask them, so tell me how you guys fight or disagree or argue. And they say, oh, we don't, we don't disagree. We're good. We're just enjoying life. Everything's great. There are more red flags when they say that than not. Because if we are truly going to be authentic community, if we are going to be in true relationship, we are going to disagree with one another. But if we realize and understand the idea of grace and showing each other the same grace that we would, showing others the same grace that they, we want them to show us, if that's our starting point, it's going to allow these relationships to grow and to flourish in a healthy manner instead of just being selfish, thinking about what's in it for me. When I was thinking about this too, as I was pre preparing for this, I was thinking about a time when I lived in Oregon. So I moved out to Oregon to help start this church. I was a single guy moving out there with a couple other married couples, a couple other single people. And one of the, the single people was my best, one of my good friends, Colby Calderman. And Colby and I moved out together and we were gonna be roommates in this apartment. I was super excited about this next season of life and doing this. And I went out there uh, single, not attached to anybody. He came out with a girlfriend. His girlfriend still lived in Indiana. And so here I was excited about this new opportunity and Colby most of the time was back in his back bedroom on the telephone. All the time. And I was not okay. I was so mad, so frustrated because this is not how I envisioned this adventure being where I would just be hanging out waiting for him to get off the phone so we can go experience the mountains together or so we can go do this or explore this new place that we just moved to and he was just on the phone and I was so angry and so upset. Well, that girlfriend turned into a fiance that turned into his wife. And a year later, they were married in Indiana and at this wedding, um, I met or was reintroduced to this young lady named Lisa Good, who then became my wife. And we first started, we kind of reintroduced each other there. A couple weeks later, we started talking. And then over the next year, I did the same exact thing that Colby did, is I spent most of the time on the phone in the bedroom instead of doing life with the people that I was living with. Because I didn't want to do anything else but talk to her. I mean, even at that point, Skype came out. Does anybody remember Skype? Man, that, when, when it was a Skype date, you know, you'd get ready from the waist up, right? I was in gym shorts down. This is way before Zoom. But I knew exactly what that meant, preparing for my Skype date. But through this, I remember, and I had to apologize to Colby and ask for grace and forgiveness because everything that he did and I was so frustrated with, I did the exact same thing a year later. And the story doesn't stop there because as we're doing that, Lisa and I get married and another one of our buddies comes and lives with us for a season. And while he's living with us, he starts to date a girl from Indiana. And he starts to do the exact same thing. And now I'm fully ready to show him the same grace that I wanted to receive because I knew how difficult it was. And I knew the grace that I wanted other people to show me. And so I wanted to show that same grace there. 
Now, I don't know what that says about the girls in Oregon, that all of us were looking to date back in Indiana. Maybe we were just more comfortable with a Midwest girl, but that was just a pattern that happened over those three years. But it'll be one of those things that as we experienced, as I walked through and was frustrated, realizing the grace that I didn't show others. So for us, when we mess up, when we do things, what would it look like for us to start by showing the same grace to each other that we want them to show us? This next part, like I said, Paul gets a little bit poetic. Moves on from grace and starts to quote Psalm 68, 18, which is where we get that little part where it says, He ascended on high, took the captives captives, he gave gifts to people. And there's a couple different views on why Paul includes this here. I like N.T. Wright's take on it. On N.T. Wright's take on this, he says what Paul is doing here is he's comparing Jesus to Moses. And this is a common theme that we see through Scripture a lot, that people, Matthew in his gospel is the one who does it the most, where he compares and wants to demonstrate to people that Jesus is a better version of Moses, that Moses was able to do some great things, but Jesus is able to do even greater things. And Paul is playing off of that right now, too. So if you don't know the story, the Israelites, God's people in the Old Testament, are in slavery in Egypt. And Moses comes and helps to take them free, take the captives free, and lead them into the promised land. And as they get out of Egypt and as they're moving towards the promised land, he ascends atop Mount Sinai, where he spends 40 days and 40 nights with God. And when he comes back down or descends off the mountain, he has the law in his hand. And the law is what would help shape the culture and the life of the Israelite people until the time of Jesus. And what Paul is doing here is he is telling his readers in Ephesus that Jesus did the same thing, that he descended here, showed us the best way to live, but then, and then showed us and set us free through his work and death and blood on the cross, but then he ascended back up to heaven to sit at the right hand of his Father, and then after he did that, he sent the Spirit down. We read this in Acts 2. He sends his Holy Spirit down in order to give us the gifts that we're about to read. And it's really cool God, or how Paul puts this all together because we're going to see why Jesus, it is a key point that Jesus is the one that, do, that does this, that he's the better version of Moses, and the gifts that he gives the church is better than the law that Moses brought to the Israelite people. We, th we see through Jesus, he gives us grace, and he gives us gifts. Let's talk a little bit about those gifts. If we continue on in verse 11, it says this, He himself, which is Jesus, gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we reach unity in the faith and the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with the stature measured by Christ's fullness. Then we will no longer be like little children tossed by the waves, blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning and cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. For in him the whole body fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. 
So a lot of times I'm, I'm up here, I give sports analogies. I'm going to try to move away from that today, uh, so bear with me. Um, but the word picture I'd kind of like us to think about as we're talking about what it means to be one body is this idea of an orchestra, okay? Orchestra or a band. And in an orchestra or in a band, every person has their gift, has their talents, has their instrument that they play. And by themselves, they can probably play that instrument pretty well. And it sounds good. But when you put it all together, when they play all of the music together, it makes a beautiful work of art. Everyone knowing their role, when to play, knowing the music, knowing their part, knowing when to crescendo, makes beautiful music. The same is true for the body of Christ. That when we use our gifts, and we're going to talk about these gifts here in a second, when we use these gifts in unison, in concert together, then as Christ had planned it to be, the body works beautifully and is a work of art for, and a gift for the community around us. But when we start to elevate our gifts over other gifts, then we get a little bit out of whack. So let's talk about these gifts. But before we get there, I want to remind us of the purpose of the gifts. Again, this is not um, a, there, there are other gifts listed. We have these in Ephesians 4. If you go to 1 Corinthians 12, there's another set of gifts that are listed there. Today, we're going to talk about these gifts. But the gifts are not the goal. And there's a lot of times when we read these lists, we desire to have these gifts. We want, to, we want these to be experienced in our life. And that takes such so much of our focus that we miss the point of what the purpose of the gifts that God gives us through his spirit are. And here's the purposes. To equip the saints for the work of ministry and to build up the body of Christ. To equip the saints, to equip the followers of Jesus for works of ministry and to build up the body of Christ. And we'll talk more about how this is done in a second, but let's Let's do take a look at what these gifts are, because some of them might be a little bit unfamiliar to us. So the first one we have is the apostle. And again, this is not words in the church that we use a whole lot today. It's talking about apostleship. But primarily what this is, and if you want to, if you want to look these up, I got these definitions off BibleHub.com. If you are a beginning Bible nerd that you want to start looking stuff up, if you go to BibleHub.com, you can look at the Greek. It's fascinating. Um, that's where I pulled all these definitions off of. But apostle means one sent on a mission. One sent on a mission. And a, a word that we're probably a little bit more comfortable with or nuanced here in the West now is probably an entrepreneurial. Someone who's entrepreneurial. Let me get those words out correctly there. Someone who is gifted. Someone who has a mind that's on a mission. And no matter what comes up, they're going to pursue that mission. That's an apostle. A prophet. This is another one that we don't talk a whole lot about in the church. A prophet is one who sees the future and speaks on behalf of God. This is one that can be a little bit dangerous, especially in our social media world today. We've got a lot of people who want to be prophets, who want to tell everybody what's going on, who want to speak on behalf of God. And if you think you are one of these people and these might be some gifts that you have, I would encourage you to do so with fear and trepidation. Because if you want to know how a prophet works, Go ahead and read the Old Testament prophets and look how it worked out for them. 
Most of them were on the outskirts of society. Most of them were not welcomed in the mainstream because when they were speaking on behalf of God, they were saying things that was disruptive to God's people because they had lost their view of where they were supposed to go. But there are some people who are gifted in this way, gifted to see what's coming, gifted to see where culture is going to go and how God would want us to respond. The third one is an evangelist. We're a little bit more comfortable with this one. This is one who brings good news. And maybe you know somebody like this. Maybe you have a friend who no matter where you're at, people are able to, they're able to get into a spiritual conversation with somebody. You go out to dinner with them and they're talking with the waiter. And before you know it, the waiter is spilling his guts about all of his deepest hopes, dreams, and desires. And they're able to point that back to Jesus. And you're sitting there like, how did you do that? He just asked what we wanted to eat. But it's a gift that they have, that they're able to get into these conversations without a whole lot of effort, without making it awkward, because it's a gift that God has given them. And they're able to bring the good news on behalf of that. The next one we have is pastor. Again, this is a word that we are much more comfortable with, is pastor. It's one who shepherds, the idea of a shepherd. We see this imagery all the time through scripture, this idea of being a shepherd one who feeds, one who protects, one who guides. In church leadership and in church in general, this is a, a word that we are more comfortable with, and there is a role for this. There is a gifting for a pastor. We also have a teacher, is the fifth one. A teacher, one who instructs. And that's a teacher that can be done up here on a stage. It can be one that's done with our students and student community. It can be done in a kid's classroom. It could be done in a school, but you have the gift of teaching instructing, taking knowledge and, and giving it to somebody else so that they can understand and apply it to their life. Something important for us to think about and to know is this. If you're not sure what your gift is, and like I said, this is just a few of them, usually if there's something that frustrates you because it comes so easy for you and no one else can seem to do it, that's probably your gift. One of the gifts we read about in 1 Corinthians is the gift of hospitality. If you are someone that is super easy for you to open up your home and have people in, and you get really frustrated because there's other people who really struggle to do that, you think, oh, it can't be that hard. All you've got to do is this, 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 and this. Why can't everybody else figure this out? That's because that's your gifting. And somebody else may not have the same gift, and that's good. Because it's through our gifts that we are made whole. So if there is something for you that, you that seems to come pretty easy and pretty natural, I would encourage you to bring that before God and to pray, God, is this the gift that I have and how can I use it in your body? One of the things I, that in preparing for this message that came out to me this week that I was super excited about was this idea that when you look at the first part, when Paul is comparing Moses to Jesus, the reason he does that is because Jesus is the one who gives the gifts. Jesus, if we read there, gives us the gift through his spirit. And why can Jesus be the one who gives the gift? Because all of these gifts are found fully in the person of Jesus. All of these gifts, he has all of these gifts in his characteristics, in his makeup, who he is. We see examples of this all through scripture. And because they are fully experienced in him, then he can give the gifts to us. So let's go ahead and talk about what some of these gifts are and how we see them in Jesus' life. So in Luke 4, 
43, we see that Jesus is a, an apostle. He's one sent on a mission. Luke 4, 43. But he said to them, it is necessary for me to proclaim the good news about the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because I was sent for this purpose. He was sent on this mission to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. He was an apostle sent on a mission. And he invited other apostles to journey with him, which is where we get that word from and that idea from. Those 12 apostles and also the other 120 that followed him around. These were also apostles who went on mission with him. And we see that also in this mission, he's an evangelist because he's bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. That was his purpose, to be an evangelist, to be on mission, to share the good news that the kingdom of God is near, that it's available to us today, and that we don't have to wait till we die to receive it. That is his mission, and through that, he's an evangelist proclaiming the good news. We see in John 14, 24, that he's also a prophet. The one, Jesus says this, the one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The words that you hear is not mine, but is from my Father who sent me. So he starts out by saying, it's kind of some tough words. If you, don't, if you, don't, you won't love me if you don't keep, the wor- keep my words. The things that I tell you to do, if you do not follow those, then you do not love me. But these words are not just from me. These words are from my Father. So he's speaking on behalf of God the Father as a prophet. In John 10, 11, we read that he's the good shepherd. He says this, I'm the good shepherd, and the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. He protects them. He lays down his life for his sheep. He is the good shepherd or pastor. And we read in Mark 1, 21 through 22, that he is one who taught with authority. They, being the apostles and Jesus, went to Capernaum, and right away he entered the synagogue, which was kind of their version of church that they would enter on the Sabbath, and he began to teach. Jesus began to teach. And they, the people who were sitting in the synagogue, were astonished by his teaching because his te- he was teaching them as one who had authority, not like the scribes. The way he taught, he was one who taught with authority. He had the gift of teaching. So we see all five of these gifts are seen fully, expressed fully in the person of Jesus when he was here on earth. When he was doing his mission, when he was working, when he was doing what God had called him to do, we see those fully expressed here on earth. And then after he paid a price that we couldn't pay, showed us the best way to live and ascended, conquered death and ascended back to the Father, then at that point he goes and he sends down his spirit in order to be near, to be with us, to give us the gifts so we can be one in body. And this is the reason why. If we for, I think we forget this often, and I say we because I include myself in that, that the reason for all of this, the reason for the church was this was God's best mission. This was his plan for the world to know Jesus was through his church. And he wanted to make sure that he gifted his church with all the gifts that Jesus had so we could ultimately look like Jesus to those around us. Again, we do this through one spirit where all of these gifts are expressed. I remind us of the orchestra, people playing in unison together, playing a piece of music 
knowing their purpose. And let's go back to our purpose. The purpose of these gifts are equipping the saints to follow Jesus for the work of ministry. And that word ministry, if you look that up in the Greek, that word is the same word that we get the idea of deacons. And that's where we get our role as deacons here at the church. At Calvary, our deacons are our lead servants. It is their job, it is their responsibility to be a demonstration for the rest of the church of what it looks like to lead with love, to lead with grace, to serve, to use our gifts for the betterment, to protect the unity. That is what our deacon body does here. And that is the purpose of the gifts, is so that we can do the work of ministry. And that so we can be built up. So we can mature in our faith. Strengthen the church through the faith, through knowing Jesus, through growing up. This is something that we've talked a lot about here. Is that God is in the business of growing us up. He doesn't want us to say, stay in the same place. He wants us to mature. He wants us to grow. And usually growth and maturity comes through difficult circumstances. Comes through those messy situations, through those messy relationships. Do we begin to grow up? And this is something that if we think about, we talk about in other areas of life, we are completely content with understanding that we do not want to be in the same place today that we are in five years from now. Maybe for you, it's your education. And right now you're going to school, and in five years you hopefully will still not be a freshman in college. But you've passed a few classes, you haven't wasted your money or your parents' money, but five years from now you have progressed in what you ultimately feel called and, desi and designed to do. Maybe for you, it's at work. And right now, you don't want to be in the same place that you were five years ago, ten years from now, but we want to continue to grow and mature. Maybe for you, it's a hobby. Maybe for you, it is a, um, a, a, an interest that you have. That when you're working on that, you want to grow up in that. But we are content most of the time, to stay just where we, at, where we are at in our relationship with Jesus and our knowledge of who he is. And when someone challenges you on that, whether it be from stage, whether it be a close friend, maybe a spouse or a roommate, what does it look like when they say, man, I, I have noticed some of these same things in your life that have been there for a couple years and I don't see you growing in that. What's our normal response? And I say our, again, including myself in this. Oh, that's between me and God. That's between me and God. I'm working at my own pace here. Don't judge me for where I've grown or where I haven't grown. And what my encouragement is, is not to see that as judgment. Not to see that as judgment, but see that as an encouragement to grow in those areas. That you would understand the scriptures more that you would understand how God has designed you and gifted you so that you can be better for yourself, for those around you, but also for the body of Christ. For example, back to our orchestra analogy here. You go to an eighth grade band concert. What do you expect from an eighth grade band concert? Everybody's laughing right now because we know what we expect. There's going to be some, there's gonna be some uh, misplayed notes. Right? Someone's going to play the wrong note at the wrong time. Or it's going to be time for someone's little solo piece and they're going to mess that up. 
and their face is going to get real wed, red and everybody's going to be like, oh, you know, because they're trying. They're just learning. They're learning how to play together. They're learning their instrument. And we know that there are going to be some bumps along the way at that eighth grade band concert. But if you pay to go to the Indianapolis Symphony, you don't expect those same mistakes. You don't expect those same fumbles. You expect that they practice. They, you expect that they have played this instrument for a number of years, and because they've played the instrument for a number of years, they're going to be more proficient with how they play that instrument. And you're at this point where you were voluntarily going to an eighth grade band concert to show your kid or your nephew or your grandson that you love them. You've paid money to go to this one because you have a different expectation of what the outcome is going to be. And the same should be true for us in our relationship with God, in our faith, in our knowledge of who Jesus is, that we should not be content or satisfied to stay where we're at now, but constantly pushing ourselves to be better, not just for ourselves, but for the body as a whole. This is what Paul is encouraging us to do. Because as we mature, as we grow up, as the world brings things, as they bring teachings, things that try to divide us apart, we're able to put those away. We're able to show more grace because we have matured in our faith. It's not about us, and we, we don't worry about all of these different teachings and all of these different sayings that the world brings at us because we have matured. And why does the world bring these things to us? It's because we have an enemy. This is something we see Jesus talk about all throughout the scriptures. We have an enemy, Satan. And he is using the ways of the world to bring disunity in the body of Christ. Because if he can bring disunity in the body of Christ, he's got a, in his mind, he has a closer chance of winning. So the way that he can divide us is through these different types of teaching. So how can we stay unified? How can we stay unified through his spirit? Paul tells us this. We speak truth in love. We speak truth in love. I'm going to say it one more time. We speak truth in love. And maybe you've grown up in a church that was really heavy on the truth, but it wasn't done very lovingly. Or maybe you grew up in a church that was very loving, but they didn't speak truth. The two go hand in hand. The two work in concert together. The way that we're able to do this is when we're able to speak the truth into one another's life with love. That's where when that roommate or that spouse or that good friend or that person who's in your small group comes up to you and says, I noticed some things have been off for a little bit. You don't take that as judgment. One, because hopefully your heart is in the right place. But two, the person who's coming to talk to you about that, the person who's going to make this a little bit awkward, who's going to make the relationship a little bit messy, does so with grace and does so with love. And if that's not done, then we have a part, as we are, if we are the ones doing that, to apologize. Because our goal should be to keep the unity. Our goal should be to help one another grow up. And as we mature in our faith, as we grow up in Christ, as we start to realize and understand who he is more and more, it is easier for us to be more mature, to show more grace, to show more love. And again, this all goes back to Christ. 
Ultimately, that's what we want to demonstrate to the world around us. Ultimately, that's what we want to demonstrate to those who, are, who call themselves followers of Jesus and are in the larger body of Christ, is that we want to show them Christ. And we realize it's all about him. These gifts are only possible because they were seen fully in him and he gave them to us by his spirit. He is the main goal. He is the head. He is what holds everything together. And when we take our eyes and our mind and our focus off of what keep the thing together, then we start to splinter, we start to split. But when we keep our mind, our focus, using the gifts that God has given us on Christ and for his glory and for his renown, then can we start to operate in a way that's healthy. Then we can start to operate in a way where we work and function as one and not as separate entities trying to achieve our own agendas. I'm way over on time, so thank you for your patience. Um, and I've said a lot of words today, and you have probably forgotten most of them by now. So I've got a slide here for you. This is the one thing I want you to take away from today. And the way we take notes around here is you can get your phone out and take a picture, and then you don't have to worry about writing stuff down. You could come back to it later. But this is the one thing that I want us to take away from today. To be one body. If we are going to be one body, the body of Christ, we need to use the gifts that God has given us through his spirit to maintain unity by showing one another grace and love that comes by maturing in our faith and knowledge of Jesus. To be one body, we need to use the gifts that God has given us through his spirit to maintain the unity by showing one another grace and love, which comes when we mature in our faith and in our knowledge of who Jesus is. All of us have been given gifts. And that's one of the things that we are challenging and rallying us all to is how do we use those gifts in this body for God's glory and for the betterment of the greater Lafayette area and for the world around us. Some of the ways we do this is we try to give you guys a daily training, something to daily thinking of, think about to put your focus back on Jesus. So our daily training for this week is this. Go out of your way to love those around you. And you may think, well, that seems pretty simple. Try it this week. Maybe for you this is going out of your way or intentionally loving a child who has been on your every last nerve this week. Maybe it's to love a neighbor that's been playing their music really loud too late at night. Maybe this is, maybe you and your spouse have just been going separate ways for a little bit, but you're not going to be the one to bend or break. What would it look like to bend a little bit this week? Maybe for you it's a roommate that is purposefully eating the food out of the refrigerator that you have marked for yourself. How do you go out of your way to love them this week? Maybe for you it's a coworker that has just made work no fun to be at. How can you go out of your way to love them this week, to lay down your agenda, to lay down your pride, and to love them, to point them to Jesus in order for his glory and his renown 
to, make, to, be, to be made known to the people that you have influence with. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for today. Father, we thank you for sending Jesus. We thank you that he came, that he showed us the best way to live, that he paid a price that we couldn't pay, that he conquered death, that he ascended back to the Father, and that he sent the Spirit down so we would not be alone. And not only that we'd not be alone, Lord, but that you've given us gifts, that you've given us talents, abilities, Father. And I pray that we would find a way to use those gifts, not only in the community around us, Lord, but we would find ways to use those gifts here in the local body. And Father, that we would have a posture of humility, that we would have a posture of grace, that we would have a posture of love knowing that if we are going to do relationship right, if we are going to be one body, if we are going to do it as you had intended it to be done, it's going to be messy. We're going to hurt one another. We're going to disappoint one another. Father, that we are all going to need the same grace that you have given us, and we need to show that to one another. So my prayer this week, Lord, is that we would love like you have loved us, that we would show grace like you have showed us grace, and that, Father, we would use your gifts in order to protect the unity of the body, to do the work of ministry, to serve one another, and to grow up and to mature into who you have created us to be. We thank you for your patience with us while we are in process. I pray that we would have the strength to continue to move forward, the courage to move forward. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.